Hello, and welcome to the eighth episode of the Crave Nutrition RD podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay McCoy, registered dietitian, board certified specialist in sports dietetics, and owner of Crave Nutrition RD, a private nutrition counseling practice located in Cheyenne, Wyoming, that specializes in helping adults prevent and manage cardiometabolic diseases. Today's episode features guest Beth Basham, a registered dietitian who also is located in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and is a specialist in mindful and intuitive eating. She gives us an intro to these principles in nutrition practice, including the history of mindful and intuitive eating, and then discusses the differences and the similarities between the two. She tackles the topic of fad diets that promise instant health and gives us real life examples of how mindfulness about the value of foods in our life can help us make choices that are right for us. Beth shares with us that it's not just the what we eat, but the how we eat that can even affect our digestion. And she gives us three practical tools that we can use to begin practicing mindfulness about our eating pattern. This is a very encouraging episode, and if you're interested in learning more about how nourishing ourselves goes beyond just food and nutrients, then I know you're not going to want to miss this. Today's guest is a near and dear friend of mine who also happens to live in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and we had a chance to meet through a third party. It's like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever of who's your connections, who do you know? So Beth Basham is a registered dietitian, and she has extensive training in functional medicine, specializing in women's health. She has an online virtual practice and is developing a mindful eating course. Well, she's not even developing it. It's it's out there. It's out in the world. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Beth is just a wealth of knowledge, and I'm so excited to learn more from her about some topics about like mindful and intuitive eating and so many more things that she can talk about than I could ever. So let's welcome Beth. Thank you, Lindsay. I am so excited to be here. This is super fun. Thank you. And I'm glad that we're able to do this. So even despite the fact that we live like 10 minutes away from each other and we're at each other's houses pretty frequently, we're still doing this over Zoom, one, because of quarantining and social isolation right now. So virtual hugs only. But also, two, I have no idea how I would have ever recorded this in person. Like, I only know how to do this virtually. That's awesome. Yeah, no, this is perfect. And because I do an online virtual coaching practice, this actually feels very normal to me. So I love that we can communicate in person and virtually as well. This is perfect. I'm just always happy when I get to see your face. However, whatever (laughs) form it takes. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to be here, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. I will just shout out a a little short praise to you. Um, Lindsay, again, we met through this very Kevin Bacon-like way and through a mutual friend. And Lindsay um, has also become such a trusted colleague of mine. She's an amazing dietitian. She brings so much to the table when it comes to evidence-based education and support for her patients and her community. So I couldn't be more proud to be not only called her friend, (laughs) but also uh, her colleague. So thanks, Lindsay. This is super fun to be here with you today. Uh, My heart, I can't handle this for this Monday morning as we're recording this. Thank you. (laughs) Anytime. So I know in the introduction, you know, I was able to hit on some of the high points about your background as a dietitian, but you have such a variety and wealth of experiences sort of under your metaphorical dietitian belt. Can you tell us more about your experiences and background as a dietitian? Thanks, Lindsay. Yeah, I'll do my best to keep this a nutshell version. Uh, I have practiced in a lot of different venues over my career, everything from community to clinical. And now I'm in private and virtual practice, which is a whole new world for me. And I'm absolutely loving it. But I will share that my, um, my experience has been shaped by not only my personal experience, but experience that I've had with patients, and also, you know, just different, uh, different aspects of education that I've been exposed to as well. So I classify myself as a mindful and intuitive eating coach with a background in functional medicine. Um, I received a master's degree in functional medicine and human nutrition, which truly enriched my perspective on nutrition and how we treat the whole person in health. Um, And I also have experience in my background as a yoga instructor. So there is a lot that I bring to the table with clients around that mindfulness that stems from my experiencing 
uh, my experience both practicing and teaching yoga in my past life. And though I don't actively teach yoga now, uh, there's just a lot from that part of my background that really uh, supports my work with clients. So I'm trying to think if there's anything else to tell you, but maybe I can share with you a little bit about why I, I have gravitated towards mindful and intuitive eating as my main niche or my main focus with clients. Would that be helpful, Lindsay? Please do. Okay, awesome. So I want to just tell a short, short story. Uh, back in about 2010, I was really, really struggling with my health. I had the classic symptoms of IBS. I was gaining weight. And at the time, I was a dietitian. I'd been a dietitian at that time for maybe four or five years. And, you know, as a young dietitian budding out of school, you know, we kind of think we know everything, right? So <laughs> I was doing all the things right. I was keeping a food journal. I was exercising. I was teaching fitness classes. And I was really struggling with both my energy, my digestive system. And I was having a hard time not buying a pant size up every time I went to the store so, or, you know, to go shopping for clothes. So it was a little bit of a depressing time in my life because I thought, I knew all there was to know about food and nutrition, but I wasn't seeing that the calories in calories out equation was really working for me. In fact, I was restricting food and seeing the weight on the scale go up and up and up. And this frustrated me. So I started searching and that's when I got exposed to some different ideas, some of which are totally not validated, others of which are very science-based. And I am proud to say that I've navigated through both of them <laughs> to find what I consider my own truth. But I would, I would say that a big impact on me was the introduction of mindful and intuitive eating. So as a know-it-all dietitian, I knew the biochemistry of food, but I hadn't applied what I had learned from my yoga practice to my eating habits. And I think that this is a, a problem that a lot of women, um, but all adults can have is this um, disconnection from food and this disconnection from our bodies relating only on the hard science of and the chemistry of food to uh, dictate our food choices and not allowing the experience with our food and the time um, and I'll, I'll talk more about this, Lindsay, when, when the time is right. But uh, there's more that goes into the digestive process than just the foods we put in. There's actually a component to how we eat, not just what we eat. So that fascinated me. I learned about it and I was naturally able to heal my digestive issues and the scale, I, I, my weight equilibriated, I guess. Is that a word, Lindsay? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. Yeah, okay. Let's go with that. I think I think you know what I'm trying to say. It it normalized, and I I met a weight that's good for my body uh, naturally, without deprivation, without restriction, and this experience changed my entire life personally, and therefore influenced the way that I've worked with women specifically. Uh, from here on forward. It's really shown me that food is important. So what we choose in our diets is absolutely a key component of, of, um, of supporting our overall health. But there's this other area that we oftentimes neglect, especially if we're someone who's followed diets for years. And that was me. I'd tried all the different diets. Uh, but there's something more to the way that we eat or how we eat that can influence health um, long term. So I've dived into all kinds of research around mindful and intuitive eating, and I've integrated it into my practice to complement some of the knowledge I have around functional medicine, um, women's health. Um, in my past life, I was a breastfeeding counselor, so I have a, a side of myself that is very near and dear to pediatric nutrition and maternal health as well. So uh, that's just a snippet. And again, I don't want to take the whole podcast telling you about my background, but I hope that gives a little insight into why I'm doing what I'm doing now. So a few things that stuck out to me about this, the first being that you are just a natural lifelong learner. I think a lot of dietitians are um, the idea of there's always more to learn. So I think it was really interesting when you said you came out of your internship, like the know-it-all RD. Um, Cause I feel like personally I came out of that internship and just looked around, like it was a swirling tornado of like, what just happened over the last five years? <laughs> what did I learn? <laughs> like, where am I? What do I know? I'm so lost. Um, it's so much information being thrown at you. And yeah, it's information out of textbooks. It's not necessarily information into practice. I think that's a really key point. And that feeds into, Ha, feeds into 
no pun intended. Um, the idea Not pun of, intended, Lindsay. <laughs> yeah, probably subconsciously, probably. But I I live my life in puns. What can I say? Um, <laughs> that feeds into the idea that yes, we have physiological nutrient needs, but I like to say we don't eat nutrients; we eat food. And food is so much more than just nutrients. Food is our culture and our values and our preferences, our likes, our dislikes, our you know memories, good or bad. So I love that you're talking about, yes, we need nutrients and yes, there are nutrients in our food, but the foods that we consume is sort of a different relationship sometimes. And how do all of those pieces come together? How do they, how do you sift through all that? Oh my gosh. I love that you brought that up, Lindsay. That was a beautiful way to illustrate exactly. Uh, I think we're in alignment more, more or less with that philosophy. Food is so much more than nutrition. And that's, isn't that a fallacy of a lot of nutrition research is the isolation of single nutrients from foods. We're trying to identify which nutrient in the food causes a relationship to our health when in fact it's the synergistic or the overall hierarchy and quality of the food that that does the work in our body. So if you isolate vitamin C from an orange, it's not the same as eating the full orange, right? So we have that. There's, there's, some, there's some challenges with nutrition research because of that isolation of nutrients. But I think we're on board on the idea that we nutrition is more than just isolated nutrients. It's bigger than that. It's, it's the whole food. It's also the values, the culture. Um, and then, you know, for me and in my work, the how we actually approach food on the plate and um, how do we become more mindful and intentional with the food on our plate so that we can have the best interaction and, and the biology of our body actually follows suit. So it's pretty incredible if you look at how digestion and hormone responses actually shift and change as a result of the behaviors that we have around the meal or the snack. I'm so excited to delve into this. I'm going to give one more shout out for nutrition research or one more point for nutrition research. That idea of, yes, I see this a lot in nutrition research where it's like it may have a, oh my gosh, it may have a statistically significant outcome within the research based off of the numbers, but does that actually have a clinical meaningful outcome? You know, the impact on day-to-day lives or what that means for your choices and your behaviors. So I feel like that's a good point to mention this. <laughs> I think it's fabulous. Yes. Agreed. So beyond the research, I'm really excited to dive into this topic that you really specialize in mindful and intuitive eating um, for yourself, for your practice, um, how you approach nutrition um, really holistically, which is just incorporating all the components, all the pieces. And so this course that you're developing is all about mindful and intuitive eating. And when I hear those terms, I don't know, they're maybe not super clear cut for me. So can you kind of enlighten us and give us sort of an intro bird's eye view about what is mindful eating? What is intuitive eating? Are they the same? Are they different? Where do they overlap? Tell us more. That is a fantastic question, Lindsay. I get this often because the terms mindful and intuitive eating are often used interchangeably. And you may have heard one or the other or both and had the same question that Lindsay's posing here. What's the difference? What are the similarities? So I'll try to clear that up because it's a bit confusing. Mindful eating was first introduced around the year 1990 in John Kabat-Zinn's book, Full Catastrophe Living. So you can certainly look that up if you're interested. It's, it's a book all about how to navigate the wisdom of your body and your mind to face stress, pain, and illness. And in there, the author introduces the concept of mindful eating as one of those approaches. Now, about five years later, intuitive eating, the concept or the term, was introduced when the first edition of the book, Intuitive Eating, was published by two dietitians who I deeply respect, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. I hope I'm saying her name, her last name right, but those two beautiful women um, put together a book around 1995. And according to the author, Evelyn Triboli, the um, mindful eating is the process of paying attention on purpose to your eating experience without judgment, keyword judgment. Okay. So mindful eating in its of itself is that process of being attentive to your plate, 
um, and, and noticing thoughts and emotions that come up and without placing judgment on them, that's the practice. Similar to what uh, someone who meditates might do in a meditation. They experience their emotions and their thoughts, but they don't place judgment on them. Okay. Now, according to Evelyn, the author, intuitive eating itself is a broader philosophy that does include concepts of mindful eating, but also some of the pillars within the intuitive eating construct include physical activity for the sake of feeling good, rejecting the diet mentality, using nutrition information without judgment, which again, stems a little bit from that mindful eating space. And lastly, respecting your body, regardless of how you feel about its shape. So intuitive eating is a broader philosophy that includes is inclusive of mindful eating, but both facilitate getting someone to eat more normally if they're struggling with any eating issues. So you'll see intuitive eating uh, implemented in clinics and facilities that are working with women who have binge eating disorders or anorexia. But I find that, you know, even though I don't work directly with those populations, a lot of women specifically women, but humans in general tend to live in this diet mentality. So rejecting that is one of the first steps of an intuitive eating process. So does that help, Lindsay? Does that help you kind of tease out the differences between mindful and intuitive eating? It does. I do have follow-up questions though. So just for a little bit more clarification, um, the idea that mindful eating is, I feel like something I do in my practice, maybe without a formal name to it, helping my clients sift through like a lot of the why, the purpose, the intention of habits, or why do you have this food choice? Why do you have this habit in your life? Um, but intuitive eating is sort of like that. I don't want to, maybe not like the step up, but as you put it, the just broader, it encompasses, it encompasses mindful eating, but it also has other aspects to it. And can you give us a, can you recap those four aspects to it again? Absolutely, Lindsay. So intuitive eating, which does include principles of mindful eating, correct. It also includes concepts of physical activity for the sake of feeling good. So using physical exercise, not as a punishment. In other words, you know, I ate the brownie, now I must exercise it off. It's working to get rid of that. Rejecting the diet mentality overall. So all of the rules connected to different diet plans out there, rejecting that, stepping back and tuning back into what the body needs. Then um, respecting the body regardless of how you feel about its shape. And this could be connected to what some people know as the positive body movement, you know, really accepting all shapes and sizes. And I think the media, I would have to just put a little side note here is doing a better job of showing different shapes and sizes in the media now, but it's still a little bit skewed, a lot of bit skewed, I should say. So it's teaching women to respect their body. I say women just because that's the population, but I just want to keep in mind that this really can go for men as well. And children. I mean, really, the mindful and intuitive eating practices are really fantastic to be taught at a young age. And then lastly, Lindsay, using nutrition information without judgment. And that's where that mindful eating philosophy threads itself into an intuitive eating approach, because it's that non-judgmental approach where we, we experience food without those negative thoughts about how it's going to affect us. So can I use an example? I think that might help that. Illustrate that a bit. Yes, I was actually going to ask. So um, a very easy diet mentality would be going out to eat with friends and family and you're following, let's just say you're following a Mediterranean diet, you know, actually a really popular nourishing diet that's um, well-researched, but you're, you're thinking to yourself, okay, I can only have X, Y, and Z in my plate. So I'm not going to I'm not going to get the pasta with extra Alfredo sauce. I'm not going to do this, but you know, you make your choices and then dessert comes around and you think to yourself, I'm a terrible person if I eat dessert, but I really want it, but I'm a terrible person. And all those calories are going to go straight to my hips, but I really want it. You know, that back and forth, that banter that one might have inside their head. That is the, um, that's where we can use the instruments of mindful eating to see those thoughts and without judgment, see them for what they're worth. Like, why do I have that experience? 
why do I feel that this dessert is going to be bad for me or is going to go against my nutrition values, et cetera, and so forth. So um, it's helping people see that that's just a thought and emotion. It's not necessarily the truth. So yeah, will dessert add extra calories to the meal? Absolutely. But what intuitive eating trains us to consider is that when we consume more calories at a specific meal, perhaps a celebratory meal at a restaurant uh, with dessert included, is that we have to learn how to trust our body to, um, to find the balance in the meals and days ahead of us. So there's a strong component of trusting that, okay, I'm going to have this dessert tonight and it's all good. Yeah, it's not part of my Mediterranean diet, but I'm going to enjoy it and love on it and just experience the atmosphere, the people, the social connection in this moment and trust that tomorrow when my body has had all those calories, it won't be quite as hungry at breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And it will naturally uh, normalize the calorie intake as a result of what I ate last night. Does this, am I, are you following? Okay. Is this a fair way to explain? I hope I'm making sense. Yeah. So a few things running through my head. The first is it's kind of silly. Like one, when you said Mediterranean diet, uh, which emphasizes uh, like fish and olive oil and nuts and seeds and um, you know plenty of fruits and vegetables. I honestly thought you were going to make a reference to like red meat or beef being from Wyoming right now. Oh. That we both live here. <laughs> I was like expecting that. So dessert kind of threw me for a side loop for a quick second. That's fair. You could insert whatever quote unquote bad food. And that's the thing. We're trying to remove the labels around if food is good or bad. And that's a perfect example. So on a Mediterranean diet, you might be more restrictive around red meat choices. Um, I just think of dessert because that's usually when women banter on themselves like, oh, the chocolate, it sounds so good, right? Like it's so yummy. I want to eat that brownie or that piece of chocolate pie or whatever. And you know, there's so much self-criticism around it. It's like, just eat it and enjoy it, right? I know it's not that easy. I know it's not that easy as you're working through this process. And that's what the process is. It's a process. It's not trying to get from point A to point B. I think in our culture, Lindsay, would you agree that we're, all of us are trying to get to some goal. We're trying to get from point A to point B and there's nothing said about the path or the journey to get there, right? hundred percent. I literally drew this out for a client last week. Um, I drew like a little stick figure of my client and I drew across the other side of the whiteboard, um, like a circle of what she had pictured, like painted as her ideal picture of health and physically showing the distance between there, like of everything that we want, we can only focus on a single step at a time. Like we have to walk the path. And so it was like a good visual representation of that, that we tend to focus on the outcome, but we don't think about the actions in, in between or to get to that outcome. And I would add to that too, that we, we don't necessarily pay attention to that, that journey, right? Like the small actionable steps that we take to get there. We're looking for that quicksilver bullet, right? And that's what a lot of, and not to say the Mediterranean, they're all, you know, there's all kinds of diets, but some of the more faddish diets that, encourage rapid weight loss and instant health under whatever category you want to define that are, are very prescriptive and very regimented and very based on, um, they're not based on any enjoyment of life along the way. And that brings up a good point. So when you were talking about the dessert, the one way, I guess the way that's kind of like manifests in my practice, I talk about objective and subjective values. So take, for example, that dessert, you know, you talked about objectively, let's say cheesecake or something. Objectively, cheesecake has some fat, some sugar, which provides calories. Maybe there is, oh my gosh, this is like testing my dietitian knowledge. I'm like, what's, how much calcium is in cream cheese right now? That's what's going through my head. Not a ton, but yeah, a yeah, little that's bit. Not yeah. A very, that's not considered one. So like objectively, that is what it is. Like it's matter of fact, it just, it is what it is. But the subjective value of the cheesecake of who are you with when you're eating it? Is it a particular favorite flavor? Is it a celebration or is it like, are you out just on a Tuesday night? Um, like there's so many... Yes, it is cheesecake. Yes, there are nutrients within it. But again, the subjective value of foods, because we don't just eat nutrients, we eat foods. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of like the swirling thoughts of my head when it comes to 
mindfulness and practice is like that self-reflection of the value of the food in your life, whether it's an objective value or a subjective value. Ooh, I like that. I've never thought about it in the objective or sub- versus subjective viewpoint, but I, I love that. And that's a beautiful way to explain to a patient or a client what this looks like and how food is more than the particular components within it. It's that's beautiful. I love the way you stated that, Lindsay. And yeah, we digest also, I might mention a particular part of our digestive process called the cephalic phase digestive response. Have you heard of this? Can you say that five times fast? No, I cannot. (laughs) I call it CPDR for short. But are you familiar with the cephalic? And the cephalic is related to the you know the brain, the cephalic, um, the cephalic phase of our digestion that happens through our senses, more or less. So no, it's tell this, us more, enlighten us. Okay, I'll I'll do my best here. But it's the uh, the stimulus of the meal to include the sight, the smell, the environment in which we eat that turns on necessary hormones and enzymes in our digestive system and our brain that support our digestive process. So this is important because a lot of us, if we're eating only for objective reasons, right? If we're just eating because the food contains a certain number of nutrients or it was on our diet plan, and we're not taking in the the subjective things to include, as you mentioned, the environment, the culture, the people, the sight, the smell, all of the stimulus that comes with the meal, we actually reduce our digestive response for something between 30 to 40% of our digestion. So that CPDR, the cephalic phase digestive response accounts for research findings between 30 or 40% of the digestive process. Uh, And that's why, you know, eating on the run or eat in front of the TV again, or just following those strict rules and not taking in the stimulus of our food can lead to some misdigestion of our food in some ways. Um, I've had, I have actually a particular person. Does this make sense before I move on and share an example? Yes. I'm looking forward to an example. Yes. Okay. All right. So one of my clients who shall remain unnamed uh, came to one of my classes about mindful eating and we were talking about this cephalic phase digestive response. And she in that moment, had a little light bulb moment. She had been a religious diet follower. She went to the gym every day, but she was just struggling with her body. And she had the classic symptoms of IBS, a lot of bloating, a lot of indigestion, and just could not get to the root of it. She tried everything. She did all the supplements. She did all the things that she was told to do, and nothing really seemed to help. When she was introduced to CPDR, she recognized that a lot of her eating was done mindlessly. Um, in front of a television, checking her email. She lived alone. So she wanted to distract herself while she was eating her meals because she didn't have a meal to share with another person at all times. So when she recognized that she wasn't fully activating her CPDR, she was just mindlessly eating food from a microwave bowl or, <laughs> or whatnot. She recognized she wasn't fully harnessing that digestive strength. So she slowed down at her meals. She took in the stimulus, and this is where mindful eating plays a huge role. She took in the stimulus. She smelled her food. She saw her food. She prepared her food. You know, it wasn't just pulled out of the freezer and stuck in the microwave. She created a meal. And the chili, so she loved chili, but she and she assumed that beans in the chili are always what caused her bloat and digestive distress. Always, always, always. She always had bloating when she ate chili. Can we just talk about like, I love that you're using this example of chili because think of how many foods have been demonized within chili. Like there could be red meat from the ground beef. There could be beans. There could be like peppers. Heaven forbid you add like onions as a aromatic vegetable. Like there's so many foods within it. So I'm really excited about this example. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things within that could be quote unquote pulled out, isolated and demonized, right? From the chili. Oh, it was the beans that caused the bloating. It was the red meat. It was a little, right? Go on and on. So in this example, she slowed down, she turned off her TV, she put her smartphone away, which I recognize is so hard for a lot of us, myself included. And she ate slowly. She smelled her food. She tasted her food. She did some things in the mindful eating scope to activate her CPDR. And she had no bloat. She was like, she came back to class the next week and she's like, Beth, this is astounding. I have never eaten a bowl of chili 
and not have had digestive repercussions. So this was a miracle for her because she, for all this time, blamed it on, in this case, the beans, right? Because beans are, you know, beans, beans, the magical fruit. The more you eat, the more you beep, right? (laughs) So she just thought it was the (laughs) beans. She thought it was the beans. And when in fact, it was the lack of awareness. And that's what I'm so passionate about, Lindsay, is helping people slow down at meals, reclaim their experience with food, which in turn supports hormonal balance, uh, secretion of certain enzymes in our stomach, small intestine and colon to really help us assimilate those nutrients and turn them into energy and metabolic fuel. So I hope that was a okay for me to kind of share her experience with you. No, I think that's a really great example. I'm so grateful that you were able to share that because that paints a really, really good picture of what this looks like in practice and daily life, because let's kind of recap here. So, so far we've talked about mindful versus intuitive eating where mindfulness seems to be the fill in the blanks for me here, but mindfulness is sort of the, the why of we eat or the how sort of the process of it. That's good. Yeah. The how I would say the, how we eat or how we approach food with non-judgment. Okay. So the, how we approach food and then intuitive eating is sort of like this broader overarching sort of principles that incorporate mindful eating as one, but it also incorporates physical activity for enjoyment, rejecting the diet mentality and respecting your body. Absolutely. Yep. You got it, Lindsay. And then we've been talking about sort of like the ins and outs of mindful eating. You know, I shared like in my practice, it manifests as looking at the objective versus the subjective value of foods and understanding those pieces. I love that it's without judgment. It's just taking the time um, to dive into this, to look into this with curiosity and not judgment. And that's where having a professional, a dietitian can very be very helpful in this scenario. Because as you shared, there's components to it. Like, yes, there are physiological responses to our food. Like, yes, when we eat, our food contains nutrients, we digest those. Yes, we do utilize nutrients for overall health. But how we eat, the context of we eat, um, the environment with which within, what am I trying to say? The environment within which we eat? Is that right? You got, I think you're, you're good. <laughs> um, all of these components go into our meals, our snacks, our eating experience or our eating events. So we're, we've been talking about a lot of swirling pieces here. And I think this is a really interesting conversation nonetheless of just exposing these ideas to everybody listening and maybe being able to pick out examples. Like I We'll share, like I have my clients keep a food and mood journal of some of that internal dialogue. And you shared some of that internal dialogue if you are, you know, at a meal, you're following a Mediterranean diet, but you're presented with dessert, those back and forth, the the confusion, the maybe like shame and guilt and judgment that goes into it. And so listeners might be able to pick out certain experiences within their life that they feel like there would be an opportunity to practice more mindful eating. And so can you give us, I know you've shared some little tips and tidbits with that chili example, but can you give us like a recap or how to almost, if somebody's looking to practice mindfulness in their eating, what are some tips like a newbie or a beginner could take? Great question, Lindsay. And when I think about answering this question, obviously I just want to vomit everything a person can do. So I'll try to, I'll try to make the, these nuggets really good starter points for people. And I love that you introduced the concept of a food and mood journal. And if you don't mind, I want to expand that and use that as one of the steps to say that this food and mood journal, at least mine is completely disconnected from calories or macronutrients. So when somebody's writing down the foods that they eat, they're not focused on the calories it contains, the fat, the protein, um, the carbohydrates it contains. It's simply a, a way to transcribe what's happening in relationship to the food. So I ate the sandwich. This is how I was feeling. I was feeling distracted. I was feeling, um, well supported by family and friends, you know, you have that opportunity to, and this is the key word, increase awareness around 
the eating pattern. So that's the first step in my mind is to increase awareness and do so with our best intention to reserve judgment or put it off to, you know, any judgment till thoughts put off to the side. So the food and mood journal is a a perfect place to start. And you can certainly do this by simply opening a blank notebook and transcribing the foods you eat and how you feel after eating them and during the eating process, noticing any thoughts or emotions that come up and you don't have to change them. That's not the first step to change those thoughts or emotions. It's simply to become aware of them. To facilitate that, it's also, in my experience, important to slow down and eat your meals in an undistracted place. So uh, if you're used to eating your meals on the go, rushed, um, maybe you don't have a long lunch break at work, um, or maybe you grab breakfast and eat it in the car on the way, is to pick one meal a day where you can add about five to 10 minutes of length to sit down at a meal and eat undistracted. So without the TV, without your smartphone, without your email in front of you, and just pay attention to the eating process itself. And then lastly, I think I'll just keep it to three tips because there's so much more I could say. (laughs) But I find that my clients have been very successful in doing some deep breathing before meals. And this doesn't have to be an extensive 10-minute breathing session or in yoga, we call it pranayama. This is simply closing your eyes and taking five to six inhales and exhales, just paying attention to the length of the inhale, extending it, and the length of the exhale, extending it beyond what's you know a normal breathing pattern. This helps trigger the side of our autonomic nervous system called our parasympathetic nervous system, which supports digestion and relaxation. So when we can breathe deeply before a meal, we have a powerful instrument to help activate our parasympathetic nervous system and support digestion before we start our eating process. So I'll just recap really quick. Breathe before meals, slow down, eat undistracted meals as you can by adding about five to 10 minutes to at least one meal a day. And then lastly, using a food and mood journal to support better understanding your experience and heightening your awareness. As you're saying that, I'm taking deep breaths myself. It's always a good reminder or a prompt to have that because we don't think about it. So one, that's one of my favorite things about anytime I meet up with you is we tend to do deep breathing together, like intentional or not. Sometimes it's very purposeful and let's sit and close our eyes for five minutes and let's do this together. But I don't know, you're whenever I get the chance to like hang out with you, you're very like calming to me. And so I always take deep breaths around you and I appreciate it. So I just want you to know that. And I'm getting that even virtually over Zoom right now. Thank you. Cool. Hey, I didn't know I had that effect on people. So that's fun. (laughs) Great. It's so great. Um, But those are really good. Thank you for the recap. Those are really great sort of like action steps to take. Um, I think that also goes back to earlier when we were talking about, you know, we want to achieve this outcome, this goal, but thank you for breaking it down into some really actionable steps that we could take some ways to implement this on a small scale. It's not necessarily so grand. It's not a complete overhaul. It's let's pause. Let's start there. Let's take a pause, take a deep breath. And then after that breath is paying attention to the meal. So one, you've tuned into your breath from the beginning, but then it's when you're tuning into the meal, um, I get the idea that maybe we're paying attention to the tastes, the textures, um, the satisfaction, maybe how does it feel in our mouth, Um, our sensation of chewing, all of these little nuance, all of these little sort of like nuances and experiences that come with a meal that are kind of forgotten about a lot of times in our very distraction filled world that I know I am just as much a victim of or like, or I know I suffer from just as much of wanting to have my phone or wanting to snack at my desk or the idea of eating on the go because it's more efficient. Some You think it's more efficient, but then if I'm dealing with the upset stomach afterwards, is it really is it really efficient? Absolutely. And the coolest thing about this, Lindsay, I would have to say is that these tools are free, right? You don't have to spend any more money on fancy food. (laughs) They're absolutely 100% free. And the small changes can lead to the biggest 
outcomes. So the patients I have worked with, and I'm sure you have too, those little tiny changes add up. And just the three things I outlined can change everything for you. And they're free. There's no cost. And thank you for saying like, but these are tools that you can use. I'm thinking like action steps, but I don't know. I like the word tools in this context better and that they are, you know, very purposeful or useful. And I don't even know how to describe it. I just like the word tools better in this context. Yeah. Well, you get to pick. I always tell people pick what you like and leave the rest. Well, I'm loving this sort of intro to mindfulness and mindful practices within the context of our food pattern. Um, I'm going to transition now into some of our broader questions that I like to ask all my guests. So my first question for you as a dietitian is, what is a trending topic you've seen come up over the last, say, month or so in the realm of nutrition? For me, what I've been seeing trending right now is this talk around what supplements everyone needs to be taking to support their immune system during this pandemic that we're experiencing right now. Um, At least in the circles that I follow, there's a lot of conversation around, okay, we need to take vitamin C, but don't take vitamin D, but do take vitamin D. But, you know, there's a lot of back and forth banter. Uh, and so where I've fallen in that is to really fall back on that synergistic quality of food first, right? So people are trying to find the magic bullet as we do as humans, which is no problem. And I'm not, I'm not discounting the power of some supplementation to support ourselves, but it all goes back to food and, and, um, eating high quality food where we can, obviously we have limitations within that, depending on what our grocery stores are carrying right now. But that mindful practice coming in to support the digestive process, I think, is paramount. So rather than worrying about if you have enough zinc or vitamin C in your cabinet, let's focus on food first. Stock up on frozen veggies, even on some canned veggies as needed, and focus on colors, textures, flavors, et cetera. I could go on, but I'll I'll keep it at that. That is absolutely a trending topic. And... Yeah, I'm going to give a little shout out right now. So if you are on Facebook at Crave Nutrition RD, I went live with a local chiropractor here in Cheyenne. We did a little like 11 minute live stream about some of the food fears that are circulating right now or this idea of supplements preventing, treating, curing COVID-19. And for the first time, um, the FDA actually issued letters to seven companies promoting products that used claims like prevent, treat, or cure against coronavirus. And so that was a big deal that there's like this pushback against it. Um, So shameless plug, go check out that video. Um, And you're right. That is 100% a trending topic right now. So thank you for bringing it up and being a voice of reason with that. You're welcome. Just something I've observed. Well, being a voice of wisdom and my sage, wise friend, um, if you were to share a piece of wisdom or advice to listeners, what would you want to share? I think it's to, and this is the context of how I support my clients, so keep that in mind, but it's to take, not take nutrition so seriously. Um, And I guess just to slightly expand on that, because I don't (laughs) want to offend anybody, but it's to lead your experience with an open heart, breathe deeply and recognize that food is more than just nutrients. It's nourishment. Life is so much bigger than just nutrition. There's so many other elements that and aspects that influence our health and to focus solely on nutrients as the key uh, to our health, we miss out on so much of life. So I'm struggling with thinking of how I want to respond to this because that like hits me in the heart where obviously we're both dietitians. We both specialize in nutrition. Like we both spent a lot of time in education and training for this and the recognition that nutrition has a role within our life, but the fact that you use the word nourishment Nourishment is more than just food to me. And so nourishment period can be interpreted in how you want to nourish many areas and aspects of your life. So thank you for that. That just like hits me in the heart. And I just appreciate that quite a bit. Thank you. Sure. No problem. 
Well, speaking of food, so one of my favorite questions to ask is, do you have a current favorite food? Oh, Lindsay, this is probably the hardest question to answer because I'm a foodie at heart. I love food (laughs) in general. I think being at home right now, I've been craving more comfort foods. So we've been cooking um, really really hearty meals and soups. So I'm just going to go with soup right now. We're living in Wyoming. It's supposed to be spring. We're supposed to be feeling the sunshine. Instead, we're feeling the wind and the snow. So soups made with a lot of bone broth and uh, vegetables and just yummy, nourishing, hearty ingredients has been nourishing um, both my belly and my soul right now. So I'll just go with that. Well, follow-up question. Yes, I do ask the hard-hitting questions here. What is your current favorite food? It's it's cut into the core of it. You didn't know you were going to be interrogated. <laughs> I know. I feel a little bit, uh, I feel unprepared, I guess, with that question, right? There's a pun in there too, unprepared, yeah. <laughs> preparing soups. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, do you have like a favorite... Maybe not even a favorite, but what's a soup that you've cooked recently? Like what sort of flavors were in it? So yes, you know, a brothy soup with lots of vegetables, any sort of like spices or herbs that you particularly are enjoying? Ooh, so we just made a soup the other night. It was like an Italian, a spinoff of an Italian wedding soup. So we had some meatballs that we had used from a previous meal. And oh, what did we add? I think we added some oregano, thyme, herbs to province is a one we use and lemon juice at the end. I love adding lemon. It's that acidic um, aspect of soup that kind of that back end feel in the mouth that I think is so yummy as well as tomato. Tomato based anything for me is one of my favorites, but the tomato and the lemon um, have been really, really yummy to me at this moment in time. We also made a tor- like a chicken tortilla soup, which is another one of my favorites. A kind of pozole. Have you heard of pozole? Yeah. Pozole's- yeah. yeah. Oh, I love pozole. Um, so it's kind of a pozole chicken tortilla type of, of soup that was so good. Lots and lots of different colors. I love lots of colors and textures in my soups. So bring it, bring it on veggies, load it up. And um, yeah, so I, I can't even tell you all the spices we use because my husband and I just kind of like dump in random things and then taste <laughs> until we so you're not like telling it. it. So just to make sure you're not holding back on us because it's some secret recipe that you're not allowing out. Not a secret recipe, not a secret recipe. It's just a, a constant experiment in the kitchen, layering on different spices that we have from past experience know work well together. And um, my husband, I have to give him the credit. He is really the the flavor connoisseur of our household. He is the master of sauce making and I kind of just let him do his thing because everything he puts on the table tastes amazing. Uh, I love talking about favorite foods because during these episodes, we talk about really big topics in nutrition and like the field of dietetics and it's a lot of high level information. Sometimes it's new information. It's very thoughtful and reflective information and so I like wrapping up with the current foods that you're eating to bring it back into we're still living our life. We're eating food. How are you enjoying your food? And I'm so with you that right now I'm over like the cold snowy wind. I'm ready for sunshine and like short sleeves. I gave myself a pedicure over the weekend because I just want to wear some sandals. I won't be for a while. You know that. I do all too well. <laughs> um, But on a bonus tip, the idea of adding that lemon juice, like a hit of acid from like a citrus, uh, vinegar is a great way to finish dishes to sort of like brighten them up and like liven up the the final flavors of it. It adds like a nice depth to it. So that was a really good tidbit. Nice tip. Yes. Yeah. I call it the back end. It's like when you put it in your mouth, there's got to be like a back end flavor. Well... Thank you, Beth, for being here today. This has been a very enjoyable episode, obviously because you're my friend, but also just it's been really good information and I'm always happy to get to learn more from you. You're such a wealth of knowledge. For everybody listening today, um, how can we connect with you? How can we learn more from you? And how can we enroll in your course to practice this more? Thanks, Lindsay. Yeah, so I have the normal social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram. 
the handle being healthy at healthy by design RD. So it's pretty easy to find. You can also find me at the, the same website, uh, www.healthybydesignrd.com. If you are interested in mindful and intuitive eating and how to harness that to empower yourself around food and improve your relationship with your body. I also have enrollment information on my website. So to add some more information about the course itself, it's a six module course intended to take six weeks covering the concepts of not only mindful and intuitive eating, but diving into the science behind these concepts and providing practical tools and tips to help you along your journey of becoming more intuitive and more uh, mindful with your food choices. It's a transformational journey from going from the diet mentality to a more non-judgmental, more loving approach to food, as well as to our body as a whole. So we talk about nutrition, but we also talk about nourishment, which happens through our thoughts, our emotions, and our behaviors as well. Thank you for sharing more about that. So I get the idea, you know, this episode, we have like not even barely scratched the surface of this topic, but you are such a resource. And I know I've gotten to see over the last months that you've been pouring yourself, your practice, your experience into this course, uh, how much value is included in it, how much impact it has. And so like your course is a resource to dive deeper and really implement these, I don't even want to say strategies, but implement this as a practice and receive support to do so. So thank you for sharing that with us. And thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Lindsay. It was my very sincere pleasure to have this conversation with you, to share more of my passion, and honestly, just to hang out with you for a little bit virtually. I know. I can't wait until we can hang out again. You know, we're four miles away, but let's hang out in person sometime. (laughs) Hopefully sooner than later. To everyone listening, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crave Nutrition RD podcast. I hope you enjoyed learning from Beth as much as I did today. And... On that note, if there's anybody that you know that you think would benefit from this information that we discussed today, please share this podcast. If it's a family member, a coworker, or a near and dear friend, um, send this podcast by texting it to them, posting it on Facebook, um, giving us a shout out on social media. You can tag us at Crave Nutrition RD. We would so love to hear from you and know that you are enjoying the podcast as much as we are. All right, until next time, in good health, everybody, I'm Lindsay McCoy.